Well, my husband gave me a limit of five. And oh, so gotcha. That obviously means eight. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right. Well, welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. We're sitting outside today, smoky weather here in Wenatchee at Confluence State Park. Uh, My guest is uh, Beth Hammerberg, and Beth picked a really early time, so it's cold out here, folks. I'm I'm suffering for this episode. Just Mm -hmm. kidding. Anyway, Beth is, well, Beth, just you tell them. What do you do? I always try to do all the things. And uh, right now my big project is being a lavender farmer. I planted my farm about six years ago, not with the intention of farming, but with the intention of making my property look better and <laughs> getting, which which was has been a struggle. Um, we don't really have a lot of water. And so everything we had that was lawn died and I just had a big dead lawn area. And I planted that with lavender because it's drought tolerant. And um, somewhere in the middle of that, my husband and I were like, let's be farmers. So, okay, we're in Wenatchee where there's a big river running mm-hmm. just over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And you say you didn't have access to water. You live north of town. It's still a Wenatchee address, right? Yeah. Okay. How come... You don't have access to the Columbia for irrigation. So in order to access that water, you have to possess a water right. Mm -hmm. And then you also have to have a point of access. And uh, Wenatchee is not as strict as some other areas, but it's difficult to get those water rights from people and it's expensive. So, um, you know, when we moved on to our property, when we'd only been married eight months and at the time... They told us, you know, buy the the most expensive place you can get because you'll make more money over your lifetime. So, that which, was your real estate agent that told you that, right? Uh, yeah. Lots of real estate agents. Well, think about so, that. How do they get paid? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a real estate agent. Um, well, you know, we still live there and that place has been wonderful for us. And yes, we did grow into making more money. But at the time, I mean, we had... You know, no furniture. We, we were sitting in lawn chairs for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years. So you had that whole college vibe, like the cinder blocks and the plywood yes. for bookshelves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah. Still have I that. still dig that look. Yeah. But. So how much your farm, how much, how many, well, I'll say acres, if you will, but how, how big is the farm? Uh, we have about three acres, but okay. less than an acre is planted. Okay. So help me out with this, because when I think of lavender farming, I, I think of the places like over in Squim, which is, you know, this, the Mecca, it seems like in this area uh, over there. And they have acres and acres of, of lavender. And that doesn't really help me process mentally. So an acre of lavender, what does that produce in a typical year? <laughs> that is a loaded question. So what it'll produce depends on the type of lavender you have. Oh. But um, if okay. you if you fully plant an acre of lavender at the recommended density, it's about 2,500 plants. And uh, you you only need 100 plants to be considered a lavender farmer. And even over in Squim, there are some some farms that are very small and some that are very large. 
It's just that they're all condensed in one area. So, right. Yeah. So you only need 100 plants to be considered a lavender farmer. That designation, what does that get you? Do you get like a T-shirt or something that says I'm a lavender no, farmer? A, a lapel just, pin? Or, uh, street cred street with cred? the other lavender farmers probably. Okay. okay. So. so what type of lavender... So you planted when you planted this. Do you still have the same type of lavender today that you did when you started, or have you have you changed through the years because of this didn't do what we thought, or mm. yeah? Um, yes and no. Yes, I still have my first variety. I'm about to rip it out uh, because you know when I when I first planted, we just went for it. And okay. we really like to learn by doing. Okay. And yes, that means that later you have to rip some stuff out. But we like, we're, we're DIY people. And we like to just go figure it out and try it instead of talking about it, you know? Okay. So that first variety, I don't like it. After learning about other varieties and growing those, um, my first variety is hard to harvest. It doesn't grow consistently. doesn't give me very much oil. I don't really like the way it tastes. So... Um, if I only get to grow like eight varieties, I want ones that I really love. So why do you only get to grow eight varieties? Just okay. for volume? Well, my husband gave me a limit of five. And oh, gotcha. So that obviously means eight. Oh, yes. And <laughs> so <laughs> I have some limits. So I have to, I'm going to take that out and put two more kinds in that I don't currently have. All right. How long, so are you going down to the local, you know, nursery to buy your lavender? How does one, I mean, I can go down to Home Depot and buy lavender from, what's the big, what's the big gardening company? That, Monrovia. Monrovia. This is, are we talking the same sort of plants? Are we talking different here? Educate me on lavender. I am going to answer this question carefully because I love Home Depot, but that is not where I buy my plants. I get them from another lavender farmer who is trusted and respected in the industry okay. and who uh, he he takes cuttings. So he propagates true to the variety. Okay. And so when I when I buy, let's say I buy my, I'm, I'm going to get a kind called Royal Velvet. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go to this farmer that is trusted and respected and he's going to make Royal Velvet cuttings for me. And they will all be genetic clones mm-hmm. and they will grow really consistently. Right. So. The bouquets will look the same. The oil will smell the same. They're going to grow the same. When you're talking about harvesting 300 plants, because that's how many of those I'm putting in, I want to harvest one way. Okay. Like using one method mm-hmm. and not half into... And you need a consistent product like from plant to plant. Right, okay. right. right. So when I distill, I'm going to put it all in the still at the same time. And I don't want you know one ba- bad plant ruining the batch, so they all need to smell the same. Okay. So that's where I get my plants, and right. most large uh, lavender farmers are going to go from to a propagator, not start from seed, and not go to a box store. Well, I mean, okay, I can go to a box store and buy some lavender from my yard for decoration. Mm-hmm. That's oh, yeah. fine, but I'm not trying to harvest it. So it makes perfect sense to me. So walk me through this. You're going to tear out some plants this year and you're going to plant replacement plants yes how long before they produce at a level that makes sense commercially so lavender goes from being planted to full production in four years okay four years for the plants to mature the first year you don't harvest the flowers you just cut the buds off every time they start to grow because it encourages the plant to to put all its energy into the root system. Okay. And when you do that, it will make your lavender live longer. 
if it has a strong root system. So first year, you don't harvest anything. Second year, you do harvest. Third year, you harvest again, and the the quantity you get doubles. Fourth year, it doubles again, and that's when you hit full production and full maturity. All right. So So after four years, you're at full production. How long typically, if if the weather cooperates and all that, will a lavender plant produce for? So they say in the lavender growers curriculum <laughs> that <laughs> the lifespan is 10 to 15 years kind of tops. Okay. But I know farmers who've had theirs for 30 years. And they're still, so, still pulling still out producing, commercial and quantity. Okay. Some of it depends on pruning. Um, I was reading somebody's post yesterday and they had 20-year-old plants that they got a lot of damage with the weird season this year. And uh, they took... Their whole field and the first like three rows of plants, they mowed them to the ground, which typically I don't re- recommend. And you can only do it successfully with the English lavenders, not the French lavenders. But anyway, they, they mowed three rows to the ground um, right away and let them grow back for the season. Then they mowed three more to the ground at the end of the season to watch to see if they'd grow back from the, the crown of the roots. And then they just heavily pruned the last three rows. Right. And now we're waiting to see which method was the best. So, if you mow to the ground, is it going to take another four years before you yeah. get to? Wow. Okay. But um, the, the, those first rows, the plants are already like soccer ball sized, and they have a lot of new, vibrant green growth, like if they had just planted a cutting. Oh. So this this method is kind of it's got some potential. Right. Wow. Where you could just mow down your old plants and they'd grow back like new. R- right, but you have to do this in a strategic way you don't want to mm-hmm. plow down your entire field because for four years you're producing a lot less than you were last season right i mean true okay so you have eight varieties yes and you mentioned english and french lavenders yeah uh how many of each are do you just do english just do french i have probably half and half so four of each yeah Okay, got to turn this into a Sunday morning basic math class. Four and four. Yeah. Eight. Okay. Why did you pick the these eight? Why did you pick them? So I went after I planted the first patch and then started talking to lavender farmers and found out it was terrible for production. <laughs> okay. Uh, I started just going and smelling and looking at different kinds of lavender, and I picked the kinds I was going to grow based on our climate for one, which is actually excellent for all kinds of lavender. Okay. But also I just picked the ones I liked. If okay, I didn't well, like how they smelled or tasted or looked, I didn't want them. Okay. So. We'll, we'll come back probably to that in a little bit. So I'm just going to round it up. You said a little less than an acre. We're just going to call it an acre for easy, okay. easy use. How much labor is involved over a, a season with lavender? The labor comes into the harvest, mm-hmm. and it is a lot. So how do you, how does one harvest? Now, you have eight different varieties. Are you harvesting differently here? Do you have to harvest differently for these eight different types? Mostly, no. Okay. Um, they, they come off at different times, okay. which is nice. So I'll be able to harvest. Um, well, take this for example. This might be what my calendar looks like. I have a variety called Buena Vista. And it's my first one to bloom. And I'll harvest, this year I harvested almost 500 bundles when it was really early in its bloom. And then I dried those and I debudded them. Okay. I left the rest of it for 
two or three more weeks um, because when you distill, a lot more of the flowers can be open. Okay. And so I left a large portion of it to distill. And in the meantime, I had another variety called Pacific Blue start to bloom. And I cut a patch of that for bouquets and wreaths. And then I left the rest to, to bloom more. Mm-hmm. Then I went back and distilled my Buena Vista. Okay. Then I went back and distilled the Pacific Blue. And by about that time, <laughs> my intermedia started to be ready to make bouquets and wreaths out of um, and, and to dry for bouquets. Um, Because there's fresh and dried bouquets. So you have to time both of them. (laughs) And then then also about that time, Super, which is the the variety. I have a a little over a thousand of that variety. It's my big oil. Okay. Okay. And lavender, Super's big oil, right? Um, That variety is ready to harvest. And that's my really big laborious push there. Okay. Um, I harvest it all with like this little hand sickle. It's probably... 16 to 18 inches long with a curved blade. Okay. So you have to grasp the plant and cut for like every cut. Okay. And is it just you doing the harvesting? I haven't heard your husband's name mentioned yet. I'm just hearing a lot of you. Well, there's, there are two reasons why you don't hear him mentioned very much. One, uh, I'm the public face and I try to protect the privacy of my hubby and the kids. Okay. (laughs) So you just aren't going to hear them mentioned much. Okay. Especially by name. Um, but also this year he hurt his back. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. We're getting old apparently. Oh yeah. Well, at least he is. <laughs> okay. He's getting old. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to claim it. Okay. But uh, he hurt his back in the middle of harvest. And so to get back to your question, usually I'm the one doing all the harvest. All right. And it's a lot of work. The first day, the first year I harvested all the super, it took me 10 days, 10 full days from like 4 a.m. to um, 11 p.m. to cut it. And distill it. Oh, okay. I was a tired girl. Well, let's stop. Break this <laughs> apart for me. How long did it take you to cut it? I, so I cut and distill fresh. So, okay. so those two things mix together. Right. So one plant might take me, I can do about a plant a minute, but okay. you're like leaning over. Right. So your back is. Yeah. So you sore. have to stand up and take a break between. So I will harvest. That year, I harvested into like the giant gray school garbage cans and totes and stuff. And I would fill up, you know, two or three of them. Right. Go take one to the still and change it over. Then go fill up another couple of them to get ready for the next time I needed to put material in my still. So how many plants did it take to fill up one of these containers? Well, then they were only two years old, so it was in the six to ten plant range. And now that they're fully producing, uh, so the really big plants, yeah, like two or three of them will fill up a container. Okay. Right. It's a lot of plant material. A lot of plant material. Okay, uh, we'll come back to distilling. We'll, I'll, I, I want to unpack that. So you're you're harvesting by hand. You're doing the bulk of the work. This year, I got to get help because my hubby was okay. injured and he felt bad. So, are your kids <laughs> interested in this at all? Do they think it's cool or do they like, eh, yeah, whatever, no? Are, are the kids kind of curious? Um, my kids are curious about everything. Okay. I am very lucky to have the children I have. Okay. And they do, when I ask them to come help, they come help and they say, thank you for letting me help. You know, it's crazy, right? Wow. Yeah, okay. I don't want to jinx myself for right. the future because they're almost teenagers. <laughs> but um, I did start hiring them this year which you can do mm-hmm. and um probably my older son ha- 
probably became my biggest expense this year. That's how hard he worked. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was amazing. Right. Okay, well, that's great. He's able to contribute. You're yeah. able to get labor. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Okay. And it's going to help him out because he gets to put that money in the bank. But right. uh, in no way do I think my children were, will ever choose to be lavender farmers. Okay. All so right. they're not, it's there's not, that. All right. So this is just a, a means to the end for them at this point. Just extra. I used to mow lawns when I was a kid. You know, I could have harvested mm -hmm. lavender if it was available yeah. to me. Okay. All right. So you're spending now this season. Are you done harvesting? It is now. It's the middle of September. When I am done this. harvesting. Okay. I have about twenty plants. Well, no more. Like fifty plants left to prune. Okay. Um, which. If I don't prune them this weekend, I'm going to leave them to prune till the spring. Okay. Because if you prune too late, um, it leaves your plants kind of exposed to the frost. Gotcha. And then I'll get more winter damage. All right. So, so how long did it take you this year to harvest? If if you if you if I put you put you on the spot hours wise, it took me eight to ten full days. Eight to ten full days. Okay. And I had help this year. All right. So, the, so when you say ten full days, are you talking the four a.m. to eleven p.m. full day again? Oh, I slept until about six this year. You're a slacker. I'm a slacker. I went from like six to eight o'clock at night. Okay. All right. You know, when I harvest, um, I, I mentioned in the beginning, I like to do all the things. Right. Right. And so this all happens for me in between, you know, taking the kids on hikes and bike rides or going to teach wreath classes or going to a conference or taking care of the house because my husband's laid up with a bad back mm -hmm. okay. or going to help uh, the other lavender farmer do stuff at their farm. Okay. You know? So it's like fit in everywhere. Right. So it's not just sun up to sundown for 10 days straight. You do nothing else. You're this you're, year. No. Okay. So you're doing other things. Okay. You distill some of the product. You use some of the product in, in dried wreaths or not dried wreaths. What what other what other ways do you use the product? Does that does that make yes? Okay. So so I will take the oil that I distill and I put that into all the other products I manufacture. Right. Like that cup I brought you today has um, basically a hand sanitizer, and it has like uh, what else is in there? Oh, there's soap. Okay. Mix soap. And lotion. I make a couple different kinds of scrubs. And then, well, one thing I'm doing this year, I'm taking the bud and I'm, I'm mixing it with rice and like stuffing teddy bears. Okay. And that's kind of fun. So kind pretty of much I do all the kinds of things that I think people will enjoy and buy. All right. So when you let's go back, so when you first started, your first, you planted these because... It was a drought-tolerant way of making the yard look better. Yes. Okay. When did it become the idea of, well, now what are we going to do with all this? Well, it didn't become that that idea. It went, let's plant these first 300. Then we looked at each other and thought, let's plant more and farm it. it so okay. All right. It, it wasn't like, what am I going to do with it right away? It was, let's do more because we're apparently crazy. Uh, so we planted, you know, 1,200 plants in the front yard. And then the next year, it looked great. We started harvesting. We found out we couldn't distill it. And then it became, well, what can I do with it? Well, why couldn't you distill it? Um, at that time, 
first we didn't have a still okay you know and second some other farmers had told us that it was terrible and you couldn't get any oil out of it and nobody wanted to buy that oil anyway and that was from that first plant the from yeah it's a variety called munstead which is a great landscaping plant but it is kind of a pain production wise okay all right so one one kind of bargain we made in this business is that we wouldn't take out any loans or go into debt okay and um, if I wanted to do more things with it, I had to go make money with it. Okay. So then, so I didn't have the still, didn't have ways to cut bouquets. We didn't want people out on our property. Okay. We have little kids. Right. We just aren't that social anyway. <laughs> so I started to experiment. Like I spent six months in that, I guess it would be the second season, just trying to make other things out of the lavender that's the year i started trying to make lavender wreaths i i dried some of it and debutted it by hand i went and bought a hundred dollar super cheap moonshiner still off of amazon and tried to distill stuff on my kitchen top and uh like all these things this is how lavender farming is all of these things happen at one time right it's like you're trying to be 10 different professionals at once so i'm trying all this out I did develop in that time um, my Java scrub, which is a winner. A Java scrub? It's a coffee sugar scrub. Okay. It's like a miracle in a jar. Okay. So that came out of that effort. So uh, did you like just what, get some CNH sugar and some Folgers and mix it up with lavender? Well, I'm not going to divulge my coffee type to you because it's a trade secret. (laughs) But no, I didn't use Folgers. Um, (laughs) I I thought, well, what, what could I... What could I take these buds, these straight up buds, and do with them? Because mm-hmm. I'm going to have a lot of them. Right. And I thought, oh, coffee sugar scrub sounds nice. Not everybody has that. So I looked up a recipe online and I made that and then tweaked it and tweaked it and tweaked it probably 10 or 12 times and had all my friends try it. Right. Until I got to the point where I'm like, this is something special. All right. So I'm going to I'm gonna push you here. Okay. What, without disclosing the type of coffee... Are you are you buying whole beans and then grinding them? Are you buying ground coffee? I buy ground coffee. Okay. And I buy I always buy a, to the best of my ability to support small businesses here locally. Okay. So you're buying um ground coffee. Now, I'm a coffee guy. I love coffee. So what type of grind is it? Is it a real fine grind? It's fine. It's a like an espresso grind, so it's a real not like not like those big Chunks you use like for a French press, but you're buying a foundly, fondly, <laughs> fondly and finely, finely, <laughs> yes, finely ground coffee. Yes. Okay, and you're blending that with with lavender and with sugar. Mm-hmm. I can tell you the ingredients. It has sugar. It has lemon juice. It has lavender buds that I do kind of like a an extract or a tincture, right? And then I grind those up so that they're a little smaller, and then I put in lavender essential oil. Okay. And something called hydrosol. All right. Now you're throwing me, though. I'm thinking of a scrub. I'm thinking it's dry. So why the lemon juice? So scrubs can be more wet or they can be more dry. Okay. This one is somewhere in between. It also has coconut oil. So when you take it out, it's kind of like a paste. Okay. And then you add water and there you go. Um, The lemon juice, my original motivation... With lemon juice is that I heard it was good for your skin. Okay. But it also helps function as um, a natural preservative. Between that and the coconut oil, okay. those two things preserve the scrub. All right. Um, 
And that that particular product, I actually sent it for product testing mm -hmm. because it's slightly wet and I was worried it would grow something. Oh. And I wanted to make sure that I could sell it like that without adding other preservatives. You start dealing with things like even there's a preservative called Optifen, which is really popular in these products okay. because it's really mild and you can just get it at your, like, you can just order it and have it at your house, you know? Okay. But when you read the label, you still have to wear goggles and gloves and all this kind of stuff. And I didn't want that in the house around the kids. So I tried sending the scrub out just as it was to get tested. It passed. Okay. It's, it's like synthetic preservative free. Just like natural food materials. And so this is sold then in like a little cosmetic type jar? I put it in uh, like kind of a flat canning jar. They're really cute. Okay. It looks home homespun. Oh, okay. You know? All right. Interesting. Because it has coffee. Yeah. I should have brought you one of those. I wasn't thinking that. What? Thinking straight so what on was, that one. All right. So you, you, you planted the wrong type of lavender for oil. You know, so you planted a whole bunch of those. Mm -hmm. Your new friends in the lavender business said, oh, those are the wrong ones. You said this business is going to be self-funded. We're not going to go into debt for it. So and you bought a little still off of Amazon, which I'm just really thinking that's funny that we can buy a, a still and yeah. have it delivered across state lines. I just, anyway. All right. So you bought a little still and all that. But how did the, how did the business grow? Self-funded. I mean, you had to invest, and, and I'm not asking for specific, you had to invest some cash up front. I mean, obviously. Okay, you, yeah. So I guess we were our own financiers. But you had a budget. You said, we'll, yeah. we'll put in $5. Okay. We, we can't, yeah. and we won't put in more. It to, If the, we need more, we're going to earn it off that five bucks, $5 fictional investment. Okay. This whole still thing is really interesting to me. So I'm going to ask you, the still that you have now, where did you obtain it? And she just raised her eyes and has a smirk on her face. Okay, well, so I love distilling. Okay, I, I think it's really fascinating and um, it's just fun to do. Okay, and the science nerd in me loves it. All right. So I start. I started out with this moonshiner still, and yes, like you said, the money to to start didn't come out of nowhere. Right. But I paid for it in cash from my other job right, <laughs> that right. helped start well, support. But this. you're bootstrapping this, is yeah, what it is. All um, right. And, you know, in that part, it took probably three years for the business to start funding itself. Okay. So now I don't give my business any money. Okay. Which is pretty cool. That's very that's cool. That's a big, big accomplishment. Yeah, so that's very cool. Congratulations. Still, thank you. The still story goes like this. I started out with that moonshiner still. And uh, most of, I, I read about distilling lavender oil and other oils and about moonshining mm -hmm. to learn how to use it. Right. And after I, I made enough... I bumped up to a copper still, which I also bought online, and they also shipped it across state lines. Okay. I bumped up to a copper still that it was a cheap model, but it was, you know, an improvement for me. It cost me, me about 300 bucks. Let me stop you. Well, actually, okay. So first off, if the, the copper still cost you about 300 how much did the moonshiner still cost you? It was $100. $100. Okay. I think you said that before. All right. So how much product could you distill in the moonshiner? Almost nothing. What does that mean? Like less than a teaspoon of oil. Oh, that, really? <laughs> For a day's worth of effort. And it the wow. like at the time, like I was learning at the time, but now looking back, that particular still didn't function very well for lavender. Um, it ended up 
the lid the lid was pretty flat and so plant material would kind of like poke up into where the condenser was and you would get um basically like the plant material would contaminate the batch that came out of the condenser okay and they're like I did not sell this product because I was still practicing mm-hmm. but the hydrosol the hydrosol itself would get mold floating on top oh, okay and I learned that that's that's because I was making more of a tea than actually a hydrosol okay and uh, yeah so then you bought a $300 copper still yes how much does it produce so on that one uh the year the first year i was playing with that and learning i probably got about four ounces of oil out of it and how long does that process take that took me days and i had so i had it outside i had to run it on a propane burner i tried electric heat on it but um like uh it was cumbersome on the stove because you know, when you run water through the, <laughs> that's probably putting it really lightly because the way those stills are set up, you run water through the condenser where the condenser coil is and you're just supposed to constantly flow water through and it dumps out somewhere. Right. Well, that's a mess in your kitchen. Right. right? So I tried a hot plate. It didn't kick out enough BTUs. I got a propane burner, which did work great if it wasn't a windy day. Okay. And when it was windy, it like scooped all the heat away from it and... So, so how it took long, me days. So how long did you have this copper still in use? I think I practiced with that for two seasons. Okay. Um, and I really did learn a lot about distilling and how to make that that particular still as efficient as possible. Okay. And the quality of my oil and hydrosol really did get better with okay. the better still. Um, at that point, um, I had I kind of gave up, gave up, took a pause on developing my own products because um, microbial challenge testing, like I told you with that, that scrub is so expensive. Mm. It was almost $500 to get it tested. Oh, wow. Okay. And, you know, so that was a big leap in my business to say, I'm going to spend this money to get this tested so I can sell this scrub. I have made my money back on that. So it was a worthwhile investment, but I just didn't have enough resources to put other products out like that. So what I did was I found a company also trade secret right there, my company. I found a company that I love, that their values matches match mine. They were built by, the company was built by a single mom and uh, they provide bases. Okay. Like they'll mix up a lotion and I can add my essential oil to it. Okay. Yeah. So while I was practicing with that copper still, all of that happened. And then I was able to sell more products mm-hmm. because I could quickly manufacture them. Right. And then I was able to buy my next still for cash, December of 2019. Is that the still you're using today? That's one of the stills I'm using today. One of the stills. Okay. So That's Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> she started a couple fires. That's how she got that name. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but okay. So how much oil does Drew Barrymore produce? So... Distilling the Munstead, um, the year that I told you I spent 10 days straight, mm-hmm. that year I did spend 10 days straight harvesting. Okay. That was the first COVID year. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll mark time by that, they right? Cut, yeah. The Munstead, I had about 1,000 plants. I distilled those. I had about 1,000 plants of the super. I distilled those. And they were only in their second year, mm-hmm. so they weren't fully formed yet. Right. Munstead gave me about half a quart. Super gave me 10 quarts. Okay, so 
lots of questions here because I know next to nothing about what you're doing. So a half a quart sounds ridiculously small. It okay for the amount of effort. Well, yes, <laughs> but that half a quart, what did it turn into? I mean, how much? So how much of an essential like? When you're making product, how much oil? You're, this is really concentrated, so it's not like mm -hmm. you're you're dumping it all into one batch. But so, what is it? What does that produce? So typically, the the percentage you put in a product is one percent. Okay. So I mean, you can make a lot of product out of half a quart of oil. Yes, you could. Yes. But if you start thinking about the value of your time and how many days it took to get that half a quart of oil, right? You just don't make your money back. So the other plant with. 20 times that because mm -hmm. it was 10 quarts. So it's 20 mm -hmm. So that's obviously more efficient. Yes. Okay. That seemed like a far more substantial amount of yeah. oil. Okay. And how long does that take to create a, a batch with Drew Barrymore? Well, I, so that variety, I distilled 10 days straight. Okay. So I got a quarter day. You got a quarter day. Okay. We started out on your kitchen stove, tried to do a burner, you know, hot plate. We did a propane thing. Works great, except for it's windy. Do we have a shack out back now? I mean, I'm kidding, no. you know, an old, but what's the, what's the, how, how, how does your distilling process work today? So I distill open air just outside. Okay. Because I can't afford my shack yet. Can't afford the shack yet. <laughs> and uh, when I got this still, Drew Barrymore. I had researched all around trying to find something I could do electric heat with okay. instead of propane because of the winds. And here in Wenatchee, our electricity is pretty cheap. Yes, right? it is. Yes, it is. So I found a place in western Washington called Olympic Distillers. So they're a small business. They're here locally. Mm -hmm. I could drive over and pick up my still if I wanted to and see their facility. Right. And I liked all those things. Okay. And they had uh, this still that you could heat it with an electric element. What okay, so you, when you say an electric element, what do you mean? Cuz I I'm like is it like a heating element for a hot hot water tank or what's the It's pretty similar uh, okay. or if you've ever seen um like for a horse trough, you can get basically like this metal rod that you screw into the bottom of a horse trough mm -hmm. and it warms it up and keeps it from freezing. freezing in the winter. Right. It looks a lot like that. Okay. So I have this electric element and I put it, my still actually has two tanks. It has what's called an offset boiling tank and then what I call the cook tank. So the offset boiling tank, I fill that up with water and I get the water heating and uh, the steam comes up through a pipe and goes into the bottom of the cook tank where there's basically, there's like four inches of space from the bottom to the top of a strainer, basically. So the plant material never touches any water Oh, okay. And the steam rises up through that. And oh. it, a huge advantage of that system is that I don't have to change out the water every batch. Oh, okay. So it saves so you time. It saves me a huge amount of time. Okay. Like that copper still that I had, I had to empty it all out. And then I had to reheat the water, put it in the still, then pack it, then get it boiling. Right. This, I can just shut off my electricity the offset boiling tank stays hot. Mm -hmm. I repack my still, and 25 minutes later, I can be cooking it again. Okay. All right. So you have two of these now? 
Yes. And what's the other one called? The other one's Big Bubba. Big Bubba. Okay. He's twice the size of Drew Barrymore. Okay. And probably the largest still I'm going to tackle. Okay. Because um, if I get anything bigger, it's going to get dangerous for me. So how big is Big Bubba? 200 liters. So uh, probably just past my belly button, standing standing next to it. Okay. So and I have to like reach into the bottom to pull materials out. So okay. if I go any bigger than that, I won't be able to grab the plant material. Right, right. Okay. And did you buy that at the same just uh just over in West Washington? It came from the same okay. company, but I bought it used from another lavender okay. friend. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you've got two stills. Mm-hmm. Twelve hundred and some plants. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. How many products do you have right now? Approximately. Down to the exact 20 to 25. 20 to, okay. <laughs> Down to the exact number. <laughs> 20 to 25. And I have started to um, what I do what I call curating from other small businesses. Mm-hmm. And they, they have to be people that are nice, nice to work with. If they have a, a cause, that's even better. Okay. Like on my website, I have all these cards yep. that were handmade by um, a lady who supports work with a traumatic brain injury community. And I just love her. She's the real nice lady. Okay. So yeah. I only, I mostly get the ones that are lavender themed from her, Mm -hmm. but then there's one that has little doggies on it and I sell a dog spray. So I like that. So let's, yeah, let me interrupt you and let's talk about dog spray. Mm -hmm. Doggy doggy deodorant basically. (laughs) Kind of. It, so so what that's made out of, it's pure hydrosol from my super plants. Mm-hmm. And hydrosol is a product of distillation. When you distill the plant material, oil comes out and floats to the top, but hydrosol comes out on the bottom layer. Okay. And so you're, you are capturing the steam from all that water you put in there, mm-hmm. but it's not just steam anymore. It has kind of infused all of the water-loving parts of the lavender. Okay. And that's what hydrosol is. It has kind of a, an herbaceous scent. But it also has a lot of the components that the oil has, um, but kind of in a milder form, and it's good for a lot of things. So, Drew Barrymore was producing 10 quarts of oil. How much of the other product does Drew, Drew Barrymore produce? Uh, that, year, that year, I got 15 five-gallon buckets and had to dump two because I ran out of buckets of the hydrosol. Okay. So, so that's... What, 50, 75 gallons? Okay. Did I do my math right? I, I, well, close enough for the show. Yeah. yeah so it's a lot of hydrosol. You get a huge amount of hydrosol compared to the oil you get. So what other products do you use hydrosol for? So besides the dog spray, I use hydrosol in the vinegar cleaner. Um, I sell my sweeter hydrosols from the English lavenders just as like a pillow spray. Okay. Um, I put it in the Java scrub. Like any any recipe that calls for a water, you can use hydrosol instead. Okay, so, and it gives it a lavender. It doesn't really change the scent, but it can it it does improve the quality of the product compared to just water. Interesting. Okay. All right. So, um, so that's a byproduct of the process that you can use to stretch out the the use of the plant. Okay. Excellent. What's your number one selling item right now? And does it go by seasons? Does it change or is just the number one seller are actually potted plants? Really? And yeah, because I do like one week where I sell those, 
and I saw a huge amount of them. I think I did 200 plants or something this year. And I actually work with another farmer on that because I don't propagate myself yet. So we kind of do this collaboration and I bring in the plants from that farmer and sell as many as I can right. and then take the extras back to them. So it's a nice, it works out really well for both of us mm -hmm. since I don't have that capacity yet to propagate. So plants are your number one seller. And when do you sell those? June. Okay. And what varieties are you typically selling? It depends on what my farmer friend wants to propagate. Okay. But there'll be a smattering of, you know, 10 or 12 different things that grow really well here. So you're not allowed to have, you know, two to four of them because you're capped at eight. Oh, no. This year? <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. I, I did only keep one for myself this year. It's a variety called Grappenhall. It's supposed to grow 60 inches tall. It will be almost as tall as I am. And I was too intrigued to let it go. That's really cool. Yeah, right? That sounds It's going to be gigantic. Yeah. All right. So. But from a from a production standpoint, is it is it, is it a economically viable producer? Or is it just a really cool plant? Economically viable. <laughs> when you talk about lavender farming, that's kind of, yeah. Yeah, I've had to hustle for every sale I've ever made. Sure. It's hard to sell lavender. So it's as economically viable as any of the other ones. But does it produce, I mean, the, the first one that you put in that didn't produce a lot of oils, does this... This, this particular one, this Grappenhall, uh, it does really well with cut flowers. And I guess you can use the buds in tea. People like it in tea. Okay. So... But, I haven't tried it. But from a landscaping standpoint, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Now, how big a diameter? It's all the way around. 60 inches wide, 60 inches tall. That's crazy. Uh-huh. I can't we, wait to see it full need, grown. We need that in our place. Well, look me up next year. I, I will. That's, okay. Yeah. I don't, okay. All right. So you started this as kind of a hobby. Well, it was a way of getting rid of mowing the lawn turned into a hobby now it's a a side business because mm -hmm. you, you guys have real quote-unquote real jobs yeah air quotes around real, yeah real jobs what's what do you want it to evolve into well ideally um my business would grow large enough to help me achieve some other goals, okay. you know, like one of my goals is to build a shop. Okay. Okay. And part of that would be manufacturing space for the lavender. Right. But part of that, it's cool to have a shop and we don't have one. Right. Right. And if, if I grow, if my business grows to the size of the shop, well, maybe I need to employ some people. Right. And if I need to employ some people, what kind of person do I want to employ? Mm -hmm. Me, me, I want to employ like the mom that can't get daycare, but she's a really good worker mm -hmm. um, or other people that just have a hard time fitting jobs into their schedule. Right. You know, and I'm fine with saying, oh, you're going to work two hours, Tuesdays and Thursdays. I have that flexibility because my business is so small and I, I know there are people out there that need some jobs and that have a, some pretty big time constraints. And okay. That's, that's the kind of person I'd like to hire. That's awesome. And then the other thing that's part of my vision is, uh, supporting like giving to charity mm -hmm. but charities that are here in the community like um we already do a little bit with the fair youth fund mm -hmm. basically the the kids that take animals to the fair paid some 4-h dues 
So I focus on a lot of youth education programs and the more money I make with this business, the more I can give to those places. And then the last goal for me is more kind of nationwide. And that's just helping to play a pivotal role in improving the industry itself. Okay. You said 4-H. Bio that I, well, it wasn't a bio. It was an article in WSU's whatever magazine it was that I found online when I Googled you. You grew up on the west side of the state? Yes, I did. And you were into FFA? I was. Did I say it right? I did. You Yay. did say it right. Yay. I was, in, <laughs> I was in, into FFA. I did 4-H first, and okay. then when I got old enough, I moved into FFA. So what were you... What were you doing as a kid? I mean, what were you raising? Ooh, as a kid, we raised, um, I had a, a trout pond. We had cattle. We had pigs. We had sheep. We had horses. Wow. Uh, we had the typical 30 or so barn cats. So how big of a parcel did you grow up on as a kid? It was about seven and a half acres. Okay. So not huge, but not there suburban. There was plenty of room for animals everywhere. Right. Okay. We did not really grow crops. Okay. We had animals. So then you went to college. What were you going to major in in college? I majored in agriculture education and graduated with a teaching degree where I then taught agriculture Mm -hmm. and uh, coached FFA myself. Okay. And you met your husband in college? Yes. Where did he grow up? He grew up down by Wapato. Oh, okay. And so his, his family background was actually really similar to mine. You know, they had some animals. He did grow more kind of row crops where he was at. Okay. So. And then how long have you, did you, when did you move to the Wenatchee area? So I moved here in 2002 following a man when Ah. I was student teaching. So he got a job here teaching, teaching also in Leavenworth and I kind of wanted to be close to him. So you moved here, moved here and then we haven't left. So obviously you find it at least okay here. I like it a lot yeah, here, yeah. yeah. We moved over here in 2017, and it's got away from the traffic of the west side. I, yeah. I do not miss traffic. I, although when Angie gets a little traffic during uh, the rush hour. The traffic here feels different than the west side um, because we're not all rude about it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So. So you're kids growing up here what are your kids like to do are they are they do you guys on the rest of your property do you have animals or yeah my kids my kids are in 4-h and they just come they're almost completed with their swine project for the year Uh, between the two of them they raised six pigs okay and they did all the work of taking care of those pigs with our support when needed right but we do that whole um I don't know, you could call it tough love, but I think technically it's called gradual release where you show them and teach them a bunch of stuff and then back away as they can handle more. Okay. So there were some frustrations and tears on their part, but I believe the struggle makes them stronger. So there you go. So what do you think your kids will get into as they, mm. as they grow up? I mean, yeah. Are they, are they into, are they into the, the 4-H FFA thing? Are they sports or school or? They like all, they like all of those things. They like all the things? Yeah. I, you know, they say that teachers raise more teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if my kids go into education, but both my husband and I encourage them to pick 
something that they're really going to like to do and to explore all kinds of careers, not just do what their parents do because they already know about it. Right. Oh, that's that's good. So business growth looks like a shop employing people that are not fitting into that traditional 40-hour-a-week or even 20-hour-a-week scheduled work, but who have some challenges because of like we're watching some or I'm watching some little kids ride by on can't believe this one here behind you oh way to go kid yeah no pedals just that's kind of cool that's the cutest thing I've seen all day no offense yeah. <laughs> but that is pretty cute well compared to me uh, yeah certainly anything you're seeing is cute compared to me um and you want to help the industry what does that look like to you so um, right now I am part of the National Lavender Association, but then also a more local one called Lavender Northwest. Okay. I'm a member of the board and we are trying to kind of lead the charge in standardizing the industry. Okay. Um, because at this point it's not. Okay. There's a, there's a lot of understandings, I guess, about, you know, what size a bundle should be, what's the moisture content of bud, like all this different kind of stuff. There's some understandings. And then there's a lot of farmers that are like, well, I do it this way and it's the right way. Right. It would be nice to have one common range of standards like other agriculture industries have had. Um, and with that comes credibility of lavender as a vi- viable business. Okay. So right now, there's like if you go look at let's say the USDA grant programs, mm-hmm. we're not listed under specialty crops because it's like oh that's tourism, it's not a viable crop. And so moving moving towards making that credibility happen is something I'm pretty interested in. But then also, uh, I you know I I have a heart of a teacher, and I really want to figure out how to make my small business work so that I can help other farmers figure it out quicker. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't take six to 10 years right. and they don't feel disheartened quite as much. Okay. Because I have felt this disheartened sometimes in this path. Not to dismiss you, but I think every small business owner feels disheartened on the path, mm-hmm. no matter what their product line is, whether a coffee roaster or a podcast host, you know, whether you run into things that, mm-hmm. Well, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. You know, has like, for example, in, in lavender, we've had some, so I've been here six, you know, since 2017. So the weather here has changed. It's been weird for five years. So how has the weather impacted your crops? Like, for example, last year, it seemed like, so we live up, up the canyon. Yeah. And we received three feet of snow in 24 hours. And then it froze and stayed for like seemingly a decade. Um, this winter sucked for me because it was hard to get out of our property. The streets down here were perfectly clean, but I couldn't get. Uh, so anyway, a lot of snow. But then my birthday was in the middle of April. We had a foot of snow the next day. What's going on? What? How is that impacting your crops? This year, everything was three weeks late. Okay. But was and it, did they receive any winter, more winter damage? No, okay. no, actually, uh, that lavender, once you cover it up with the snow, it's like it, it's living in an igloo. It's better for it to be covered up with the snow. Oh, interesting. It's worse if it, if 
it kind of snows, but then kind of gets blown away. It kind of sucks the moisture out of the plant if they're not covered. Right. So it's better to just be covered with snow. So did you build an igloo? For, well, your plant's not 60 inches tall yet, but what are you going to do? How are you going to cover these things and are you going to literally build igloos around them? No. Uh, <laughs> you know, most most years it's not cold enough even for the wind to do too much damage on the plants. Oh, okay. Um, it, and where my farm is, it's kind of a warm pocket anyway, like at the kind of the bottom of this ravine almost. Like okay. the warm air travels down to the river over my property. So okay. um, we'll harvest earlier than lots of places anyway. All right. But um, yeah, the only time I had some severe winter damage, it got down to negative 12 and stayed that way for a few days. And that was probably in 2017 or so. Okay. But it hasn't gotten that cold since then. So what advice do you have for someone who thinks that they want to start producing lavender products? What's a piece of advice that you wish you would have known? when you Products invest? or farming? Well, let's do both. Let's, like the whole shebang? Yeah, the whole shebang. Mm-hmm. Let's do product. All right, let's do farming first. Like what? what's a something you wish you would have known right away? Uh, well, I wish I would have known which variety gave the most soil. Okay. For sure. Cause that's what I, I ended up doing. But I also like, I don't spend my time wishing about how my past could change because sure. this is an interesting path I've led, but right. advice I do give to people who are looking into farming. Um, I tell them to take the lavender curriculum. It's only 25 bucks. It's from the university of Michigan, I think. Um, and it talks about all the issues of lavender farming and gives gives you a nice for twenty five bucks to your pyramid. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I tell them to visit as many farms as they can. Mm-hmm. And then I tell them to uh, figure out how much work they want to do. Like, <laughs> are you going to be doing the harvesting? Are you going to hire? Are you going to make all your own products? Basically, I encourage them to to like think through all the pieces of it before they just kind of jump Go in. Go plant a thousand plants. Yeah. Okay. And that. It's how a lot of lavender farmers start. They just like plant them. Mm-hmm. And then the first year, well, the second year of the plants and the first year of the harvest, they realize it's a bunch of work. Yeah. And then everyone's scrambling to find places to sell stuff. Right. So. All right. From a product advice, what's a piece of advice you wish you would have heard? Or would have, not maybe wish, but would have benefited you had you heard it? A place I have come to with my products is that, um, it's okay to not make every single thing. Okay. Yeah. I talked to this other lady and the phrase, the quote that came from her, which makes a lot of sense, is that all ships rise. And what she was saying was, if I support this other small business and they make soap for me, mm-hmm. it's going to benefit her, but then it's going to benefit me as well. Right. And that's, oh, that's still pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Because they can concentrate on soap. You can retail it for them because you have your whatever your retail channels are. All right. So that's a good segue. Where can people find more about your products and where where are your products sold? I do have a website. It's www.downbytheriverlavender.com. And then I have uh, three retail locations that I have some products in. I have some at Yield Bookshop. I have some at Salt Creek Apothecary in Wenatchee. And then I have some at Praise Fruit Barn besides my online store. Okay. Do you think the retail locations will expand? Do you have any desire to do that? I do have a desire to expand my retail locations, but um, I I do want to be kind of particular about it. I don't see being in a place like Safeway that's too right. big and 
impersonal impersonal right. for me. So okay. yeah. And then I'm I'm gonna do one market a month for October, November, and December. Mm-hmm. So people can find me at the Ponderosa Craft Fair next month. It's on the fifteenth. That'd be October. In October. And then they can find me in December at the the Golden Apple Band Bazaar at the high school. All right. The other, they're the ones on the west side in Linden. In Linden? November. Well, people listen to this all over the. Yeah. This this is actually listened to. It was really weird. We were just looking at the stats. Seattle's the largest audience. Oh, um, okay. But number two is uh, Walla Walla, and number three is someplace in New Jersey. I know. Go figure. That's obscure. I know. So for who those of you listening in New Jersey, send me an email. And tell me why. We want to know. All right. <laughs> And you can send me an email because I ship anywhere in the United States there you for go. $7. There you go. And we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll put a link in the show notes to your site. So when you're not doing the thing, what do, you like to, what do you and the family like to do for fun and entertainment? This summer, we've been boating quite a bit, um, which is it's a huge accomplishment and reward for us. My husband and I have been saving for a boat pretty much our entire marriage. Okay. And then when COVID hit, we were ready to buy one mm-hmm. cash because mm-hmm. we'd been saving but then you couldn't go anywhere. Nobody had them. And then all the prices doubled. And just this last spring, a friend of ours was like, well, I have a boat. And so we went and bought that boat and we've had it out on the lake like 15 times this summer. Okay. So we're just living the dream with that right now. And what about winter activities? We like to sled in our backyard. Okay. We are planning a trip to go night clamming over the ocean. Which should be really fun. Yeah. And uh, we like to play Mario Kart. Mario Kart. And and do a bonfire. So Not at the same time. What but. what uh, character do you play? Uh, I kind of bounce around between characters because I'm trying to dial in the best combo. Mm-hmm. And I like to keep the kids guessing. Mm-hmm. You know? Any, okay. Usually my older son wins, but okay. sometimes right. I school him. All right. So other questions we always ask? coffee around here where's a great place to get coffee around here so my favorite is java dog they've been my go-to for gosh the whole time i've had my lavender farm they remember my name and it was funny this this summer um people got to come help me harvest which i really appreciate thank you my friends and uh they picked me up coffee on the way and they're like hey can i have a coffee like this and they're like wait is this for beth like they knew from my order that right. my friends were picking up coffee for me. All right. So that part two of the question is, what's your go-to coffee drink? Right now, I have uh, so many, so many steps in coffee. I have a twenty-ounce triple shot hot latte with a tiny bit of salted caramel. Okay. And that, so they—that's best drink. That's best drink. Okay. Now wait a second. You just said your friends got to come and help you harvest. It sounds a lot like Tom Sawyer painting the fence. Yeah, like a privilege. <laughs> yeah, it sounds a Actually, lot like you convinced them there. So, <laughs> so my friends are really, really sweet. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to cry, but I feel really lucky to have these people in my life. And they know that um, I don't ask for help. Right. And some of these friends have been asking me to come to the lavender farm. And they're like, oh, if you need help, we'll be there. And this year I was like, okay, you could come help. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and they did. So, that's awesome. Um that's awesome. It, they did get to come help me, but, but it's you, not like this huge privilege where no, I feel I, all no. conceited I, about te- it or I'm anything. I'm teasing you. It's like the, the whole Tom Sawyer painting defense thing. I was like, okay, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> all right. Dig your hole out of that shed and then get back in there. I've read Tom Sawyer too. So last couple of questions. 
What didn't we talk about that we should have? Okay, one question at a time. What didn't we talk about that we should have? Well, if if anyone who has um, been around me or tried my products is listening, I do want to say thank you. Um, and I love it when people come back and get more. And I love it when it's useful. Um, I don't want to be... Some of my prices have kind of a... They're, they're hefty. Some of the prices are hefty because of the nature of the products. And uh, I want people to feel like they're getting their value out of that and using it, you know? Okay. All right. So. Last question. This is an important one. Okay. Cake or pie and Ooh. why? You know, when people ask me these questions, we have to put conditions on it. <laughs> um, yes to both. Cake... Cake, especially if it has a chocolate frosting and a raspberry filling. Okay. Pie, if it's pumpkin with a nice golden crust, not too crispy, and a lot of uh, whipped cream. Or if it's lemon meringue. I don't get that one very often. So it depends on the cake, depends on the pie. All right. People are dodging that question. I got that. I was interviewed a guest and she runs a podcast and this is, that's what they use the last question. And I'm like, I'm stealing that one because mm-hmm. it's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it kinda, is. it's like, it's been really interesting to watch people uh, as they work their way through that answer. You know, hmm. <laughs> yeah. I like them both. Yeah. Most people won't come out and say that. Yeah. Most people go because it's cake or pie and why. So most people are like going, I have to pick. So then you watch their faces as they're like, I want to say both. You're, you're, yeah. you're one of the few that have said both. Apparently I'm a rebel. No, it's okay. Yeah, it's I okay. go through the exit door at Lowe's sometimes too. <gasps> just, I know, right? Oh my gosh. I'm like, hey, am I in trouble for this? And I keep walking. Yes. If it opens. It opens, I know. That's funny. That's how I go into Lowe's too. Um, well, thank you for sitting down today and talking to me. Yeah, thank you. This is uh, This is interesting. And I continued success and... You're going to be in our holiday gift guide this year. Awesome. I, th- I think, well, I'm pretty sure of that. I, yeah, I think so. I, you talked to Kenzie about this. <laughs> I did, and that's when she invited me to be on the podcast. Okay. And thank you for reminding me. I'm working with, uh, I actually just confirmed yesterday, I'm going to be working with Yeti Chocolates for specialty lavender chocolates over the holiday season. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Very cool. Where will people be able to find those? On your website? <laughs> on my website okay. and at the markets I'm attending. Okay, so excellent. whatever's left over, you know, the chocolate goes fast. Does it? Yeah, and it is a specialty item, so you won't be able to get it everywhere. Okay. But awesome. Well, best of luck. Thank you very much. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.